0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries.
1: Well, I'd say the first thing is you have to pace yourself. Uh, the challenge is with disciple making, and when you for, you start to see it and you say, man, I need to do this, uh, I've, I've, I've neglected this, I've overlooked this in ministry, you, you want to flip the whole apple cart over, and that's the worst thing you can do. R- remember, young leaders, whether you're young in age or young in ministry or just young in maturity, uh, which we've all been there, young leaders suffer from two challenges. They overemphasize what can be done in the short term, and they underemphasize or neglect or minimize what can be done over the long haul. You got to remember, this is a this is a, a long term marathon. This is not a sprint. We're running this race marked before us that Christ set out beforehand. And so the challenge is, we want to go back and change everything now, right? right? And, and obviously, you may lose your job if you do that. <laughs> but <laughs> that you, you want to pace yourself, okay? Yeah. We didn't get here overnight. Sure. We're not going to change overnight. So I would say, first of all, be okay with the fact that discipleship takes a long time. Yeah. Remember, we say this often, it is a crock pot recipe, not a microwavable dinner. And by the way, just for the record, had a crock pot roast yesterday. Yeah. Was well, it good? Well, it's not candy's favorite, but it's my favorite. <laughs> you know, any kind of red meat. Is it I'm, better than what you could have gotten out of the microwave? Oh, uh, Not even close. When I walked in the door yesterday, that smell was permeating the house. And candy said, so step one, go home and crockpot some roast, Yes, <laughs> or crockpot a
0: disciple <laughs> but you're, you're bringing up a great uh, issue. We want to do stuff immediately, and we hear about this you know when we hear about discipleship and we think, okay, what is that beyond old school Sunday school, which is fine, or small groups or missional community or whatever word you want to give biblical community in your church, um, our first thought is what what can I do to make the most impact and a lot of times we put impact together with immediacy, mm-hmm. urgency. Yeah. I have to do it right now. It has to happen now. That's a good. Point. And the big challenge with discipleship as you mentioned is it's going to take time. And the first thing you can do is to begin yourself making disciples. I've trained a lot of uh, leaders at churches and pastors, lead pastors sitting there, and they're asking the question, okay, how do I get my people into these groups? How do I get my staff into these groups? And my first question back is, are you leading a group? Are you in a group? Uh, Because a lot of folks listen to us talk from a stage or position of leadership and, and we're thinking, well, are they doing these things? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, no matter what the schedule is, and I understand the busyness of a pastor's life, uh, if you're not personally investing, it is going to be a very difficult sell to your folks to to do those
1: things that you're not doing. Yeah. Well, and that's a great point. You can't outsource discipleship. Okay. And one of the things I've realized is you can't make disciples by proxy. Mm. Like I can't. I can't say I'm engaged in disciple-making if I'm not personally engaged in Dylan Pastoral Assistant's doing it or you're doing it as the director of Replicate, but That's I'm right. not doing it, right? Or my youth pastor's doing it or my uh, student guy's doing it or my children's education. I have to do it. So sure. the principle we live by is you, you can't expect from others which you're not emulating yourself. And so the first step is this. You need to go back and do some really soul-searching, shine the searchlight on your heart and say, God, what can I do personally to kind of lead the way for that? I'll give you an example. When I went to a church I was at previous to here, Brainerd Baptist, great church, traditional church in the sense of the structure was I preached Sunday morning when I got there. Right. Uh, I led a life group Sunday school class at first. I mean, I was you know gung-ho, sure. ignorance on fire, I'm ready to go. So I preached Sunday morning, I led a Sunday school class. I was in one with my wife, sometimes led. Yeah. Then I came back on Sunday night, preached a different sermon on a different topic, and then on Wednesday night, I preached another devotional slash prayer meeting. So four times a week, four different topics I was preparing and preaching. A lot of guys are doing that now. I realized that the most effective way to make disciples is to lead by example. So what I did was on Wednesday night, I got up one week and I said, folks, love you guys, but I don't think another sermon by me on a different, different topic is going to be the most effective way to make disciples in the church when I have a guy who loves to preach. And so let's empower him. He was on my staff, graduated with me from seminary. Let him preach to you. And one, it'll help him grow as a preacher. But more importantly, I'm going to go in my office. I'm going to take three or four guys with me, and we're going to spend the next year getting in the word till the word gets into you. Now, you can imagine, everybody loved that idea. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Probably not. No. No,
1: Where's the pastor at? Yeah, people would come in. What, what, I thought he's got a degree in preaching. What, why is he in the office with a few guys just reading the Bible, studying the word, memor- memorizing scripture, right? And, and guess would come, where's the pastor at? Ah, he's, he's in the room with a few guys who really don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Well, that was the buzz for a year. I didn't get up and say, all right, you do what I do. I just did it, right? Led by example. At the end of a year, I got up at the end of doing this and emulating this. After that, I got up and said, folks, I really want to challenge you to do what I did, find a small group. Yes, you can come on Wednesday night if you wanna hear another sermon, but let's open up the Life Group Sunday School classrooms and you can use them. And what happened, Chris, when we left was, Wednesday night became the biggest day for discipleship in any day, here's why. Wednesday night you have age-graded ministries, you have children, preschool, students, and normally college sometimes. And so the parents need to do something. Obviously, they want to do something. So some parents drop the kids off and go, go home. shopping, go on a date. They do. <laughs> they, that's the Surely reality. that
0: doesn't happen at your church.
1: No, it doesn't happen at your church, but I've heard of it happening. Right? <laughs> at some church. Yeah. Some churches out there. Some churches, right. But the reality is they would love and take advantage of an opportunity to be in a discipling relationship. So the first thing I would say, Pastor, is this. If you're a leader in a church, men's ministry, women's ministry, you go back and figure out how you can effectively and efficiently uh, make disciples through getting a small group of guys or right. a small group of girls and do that for the next 12 yeah. months. Yeah,
0: we, we definitely want to see the pastor, the key leader, whoever, whoever's listening and thinking, what is the first thing I can do? What's the most immediate thing I can do? You begin, find your three to five and disciple them. Um, you you know, if you've got some ladies in church want to be discipled, you know, your wife or a a strong ladies leader, women's director, whatever, fine, get her to disciple some of the ladies in the church. But the key is this, there's going to be some pain points there. You mentioned one of them, the pushback of the people. So a lot of the churches we talk to, a lot of the, the trainings we do, one of the key pushbacks you get is where's pastor at? Why isn't he preaching? Why isn't he doing this? Because the thought can be, man, this is just another thing on my plate. As a pastor, you're saying, okay, step one is for me to do more. Yeah. But really what we're saying is to do less, but with more intention. Yes. So as you mentioned, you you repurposed a time in your week that you felt was not as effective on one hand, preaching to a few that came on Wednesday night, Versus investing your life for multiplication and high accountability in three to five who would then go and do the same in a year. And again, looking at the multiplication,
1: that's why we're all here. It's what Christ did. It it doesn't make any sense. I mean, listen, it's counterintuitive to the way you would reach people with the gospel. Because by human nature, we think we got to go out and do a lot of work for a lot of people on a large scale, and we have to do it immediately. right but do we know more than the greatest smartest most intellectual spiritual man who's ever walked planet earth yeah no no we don't <laughs> i mean i mean think of it. jesus christ god right. himself with infinite wisdom sure. bypasses the larger synagogues and amphitheaters of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus never went to Caesarea by the sea. We have no record of that, 4,000-seat auditorium. If Jesus was an American pastor and there was a 4,000-seat auditorium, he would have never left the city. He would have given his disciples flyers to put on the carriages of every chariot in town to say, come see the greatest show on earth. The man walks on water. He raises the dead, gives sight to the blind. That's right. Jesus in the flesh. Come see him. Egg drop off the back of the chariots. Is that,
0: is that would be
1: a... They'd uh, be dropping stones. Be, okay. No, they dropped stones back there. But... <laughs> So, so, I mean, but think about it. That's what an American pastor would do, American evangelist would do. We would pack that place out. It would be packed out from here until he goes to the cross. But here's the reality. You will not find Jesus ever going to the city of Caesarea in the Bible. Now, he went to Caesarea Philippi, which was north. He didn't go to Caesarea by the sea. And what does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus wasn't American. wasn't an American pastor. He was a first-century Jewish rabbi. And he understood the impact of a few. Yes, he preached to the masses, Sermon on the Mount, feeding of the 5,000, 4,000. But he only did that 10% of the time. 90% of Jesus' ministry was restricted to 12 men. And out of those 12, he had a group of three, four, including himself. So do we know more than Jesus? Okay. And I'm not saying we don't listen. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't preach to the masses. I'm not saying we don't have gatherings. I'm not saying we don't have revival services. But what I'm saying is this. We need to ask ourselves the question. What do we do with the people after they come?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think, you know, the problem is it seems like a baby step that we're taking. Going back and starting with our three to five versus how do I mobilize tons of people to go? So one of the the, the quicker ways that can can work, and uh, so one of the things we mentioned, the, the answer really is you going back and starting your group of three to five, getting some key leaders in your church, starting starting their group of three to five. But the reality is, maybe you don't want to wait a year, maybe you don't want to wait eighteen months. We're not saying you have to wait to the end of your first D group cycle, even though that is a healthy way to do it, even though you'll learn a lot more from that. We do have some, some key leaders who've walked through this and they've kind of started their group, discipled their group for about two to three months. And then from that two to three month, they, they continued with their group. They planned on staying with them through the year. But from that learning experience, we're able to train others in the church, equip them to go out and to begin to do it. So you can start sooner than the year or 18 months, but with wisdom and understanding of what you've already experienced in that two- to three-month time frame. Yeah.
1: Well, and I'll I'll go on record and say this. Pastor, if you're listening or you're on staff and you have a pastor who is not engaged in discipleship personally, then discipleship in your church is always going to be a ministry in the church. It'll never be the ministry of your church. It'll be just another program. And let's be honest, we don't need another program. we got so many programs, we're trying to get rid of programs. We're programized out. as right. and, and listen. this is the reality. We thought in, in the 90s and, and 2000s that if we just add programs, seeker-friendly m- mindset, let's just get as many people in the church, let's dumb down the theology, let's make it easy for them to come, and let's give them programs and keep them busy. Right. And we thought that that would equate to spiritual maturity. Well, we know that from Bill Hybels at Willow Creek. He, he, after spending millions of dollars and in, investing hundreds and thousands of hours of manpower to create a seeker-friendly church whereby they programized the whole thing. He wanted to determine if he was making disciples. He brought in an organization. The book's called The Move Study. You can go go download the book. You buy the book. It's called The Move Study. And what he found out is this. At the end of the study, I mean, you can understand this is a church of 20, 25, 30,000 people coming as attendees But what he said is, and here's his words, I quote, it was the aha moment of my entire Christian life. We found out that we spent millions of dollars and exerted hours of energy, but we haven't created disciples because we didn't teach people how to become self-feeders after they crossed the threshold of faith. In a sense, what they did is they taught people what they're saved from, but they neglected to teach people what they are saved for. Now, listen to me if you're listening. Have you fallen into the same trap w- whereby we're good at counting numbers. We're good at logging baptisms. We're good at uh, giving invitations. Some are, some aren't regardless of what, what, are you, what you do. But re- reality is we have people respond each week for summit something, some form of fashion and praise God for people responding. But what do you do with the people? I, I think it's spiritual child abuse personally to take an infant, a born again believer, brand new baby in Christ, and to turn them away by saying, hey, listen, here's a Bible, suck it up, we'll see you next week. Wow. <laughs> would you do that with a child? No. Hey, here's a bottle, no. brand new baby, we just got home. You're the brand new parents of an infant child. Here's a bottle, feed yourself. No. We would never do that, that'd be child abuse. No. We do it every week. We call it the church. That's uh, That's pretty strong. <laughs>
0: It's pretty, that it's, can be, that it's can be pretty sad, actually. It's, and it's the pretty sad. Thing, sad. It's, it's true. It's, it's really sad. Um, w- one of the things that I think you mentioned in that, and I think we can address this as we wrap up this discussion, uh, the first thing you can do when you go back. So what if you're not the senior pastor? What if you're the student pastor, uh, the women's director, the executive pastor? You want to see these things happen, the discipleship pastor, spiritual formation, whatever your role is, you want to see these things happen, and potentially your pastor is just not going to go down this road. For whatever reason, he's, he's not going to jump in and, and begin to make disciples. What can I do going back to my church as, a, say, say, a student pastor? Man, I, I want to see my students discipled. I want them to grow up with a mindset of making disciples and, and replicating their life and the lives of others uh, to follow and grow, be like Christ. What do I do going back? It, it's the same thing, obviously, you go back and start your group. But what are some things you can say to that individual who's not the key leader in the church? who's gonna go back to an environment where maybe that's never gonna be embraced by the key leadership, but they definitely wanna see it in their ministry area.
1: Well, first of all, you're a Christian, mm-hmm. whether you're whether you're in ministry or not. And as a Christian, Jesus commanded us to make disciples. That's right. P- period. So people say, I'm not in ministry. No, no, we're all in ministry. We're all equipped for the work of ministry. And we all are Christians. And as a Christian, that trumps your calling as a pastor. You're a believer of Christ. And Jesus commanded us to make disciples. So here's what I would say. A student pastor will start to see traction in a sense in a greater area if you start to get a couple key students that you're investing in and a couple key leaders this is what you have to understand about senior pastors most senior pastors are pragmatist meaning they're very pragmatic in ministry what they will do is when they see something working in their church or another church they begin to ask the question can we do it here or can i do it in my context so youth pastor or men's minister or lay leader or deacon in your church if you're if you're passionate about discipleship you go back and quietly and systematically begin meeting with people get a group of men you meet at the hardys or the, the the christian nugget place where chick-fil-a is and you go you know or or cracker barrel which right. we call aka discipleship Central. that's right right here yes yeah and you start meeting with a group of men if you're a man or a woman if you're a woman and then you let god begin to change their lives and here's what happens they become the billboards for discipleship in your church they become the apologetic to prove this thing works not you Listen, you don't have to say another word. When God gets a hold of Bubba and Bubba starts loving his wife as Christ loved the church and Bubba's memorizing the word and Bubba's sharing his faith, listen, it is a ripple effect through the church. You won't have to say another thing. People are going to say, Bubba, what are you doing? Man, I'm just getting in the word till the word gets into me and meeting at heart. He's once a week. Praise God. I want in. And what happens is this, it becomes a fire in the pews of your church. And as Ravenhill said, we love Leonard Ravenhill, or at least I do years ago, he said this, he said, you don't have to advertise a fire, it will advertise itself. And you just let this thing go for the glory of God. I mean, that's what Jesus did. We are sitting here today because of 12 men, 11 to be exact, 11 men who Jesus poured three to three and a half years of his life in. Do we know any better? I don't. Well, uh, one, and one, and, to, and to, to
0: conclude here, one great story to illustrate all that is we, we have a church uh, in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, they gave us a call. Hey, come out and train us. We're really interested in, in replicate and, and disciple making, and our people are kind of on board. And what we found out at this very large church, multi-site mega church, uh, is that this movement really started in their church with some lay people mm-hmm. who had heard from a friend, on how to make disciples and, and start that group. So they started that group in their own church. It began to grow. They went to the staff eventually to say, we need some space in the church to, to meet. And they were like, what are you wanting to meet for? And they told them what they were doing. They were like, wow, this sounds great. Yeah. So as it began to spiral out of control in a good way, uh, the groundswell, the grassroots movement of disciple making, the, the staff of the church were like, why would we do anything different? This is amazing. This is great. So they bought in. The whole church rolled it out, trained, and they're they're just— They uh, have a disciple-making
1: pathway now. They got have it. a process. They're making— this. That's right. Here's what's interesting about that. Bill Holt and I, Bill Holt, friend and discipleship author, said to me years ago— I said, Bill, what are you going to do to get the pastors to buy into the Disciple-Making Vision? He said, Rabiav, and I'm paraphrasing, Rabiav spent 20 to 25 years trying to get pastors to buy in. Now I'm going after the pews because the pews can influence the pulpit. So it's a bottom-up grassroots movement from the bottom to the top, and this is a perfect example of church members who basically got passionate about the Great Commission made Jesus' final words their first work, and it changed a whole church.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple-making, resources related to disciple-making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.